Okay, good evening, everyone. I am here um, this evening in an unusual role for me. Not unusual because being a mother is unusual, but unusual because I'm here on the parent perspective, um, although I can't separate um, being a principal and a parent because the same expectations I have for my students in a school setting, or maybe I should say the same expectations I have for my own students at home, my own children, are the same expectations I have for the students in my schools. And um, I was a principal for six years, and hearing about response to intervention, this really came to the forefront as I was heading out the door, which was three years ago. And it's amazing. It's amazing, an amazing process because we put, we've, we were in the habit of teachers not being able to um, have a student learn in their classroom and very quickly rushing to test them. And very often, students would be tested and then they would either end up in special ed or not and then so if they didn't qualify then what and so response to intervention is just an amazing process to make sure that the adults interacting with the students in their classrooms are being held accountable for their learning and are trying everything possible um, before we say this child has a learning disability um, so basically from a principal's perspective I will say that having every student in the least restrictive environment was my priority. I did not want limited expectations placed on any child because of uh, being identified for a special ed program. And what happens with labeling, it's, I, it, just is a, it just happens. Or what happens when you look at test scores is people start to place limits on children. And so as a principal, that would be the thing that you would very quickly not want to work for me is if I ever heard you say place a limit on a child no matter what. I mean, and Lynette worked for me in the back, and so she can probably <laughs> attest to that. That is, um, so it's interesting that I had, uh, 12 years ago, I had a daughter who was born with Down syndrome. Her name's Megan. And when she was born, I said, you know what? She's going to be like every other kid and get the same educational opportunities as, as every other student. As an administrator, that's how I felt about our kids. I didn't, you know, if, if even if they were put into a self-contained setting, which that would be a last resort, um, they better be getting quality in that setting and not worksheets all day, okay? And not things like here's a packet of dittos and you work on them. That's not quality education, okay? That's not being given the same opportunity as a class down the hallway that got to work with animals and hands-on with animals because they were in a gifted setting. So we have to make sure that all students, no matter what, no matter what, are given the same opportunities and educational experiences. As a teacher, even, I mean, way back when, I've been in the system for 20 years, I would hate it when all of a sudden there was an assembly and everybody would be like, where's the ESE class? And sometimes, I mean, and I hope this is less and less now, Rose, I hope, right, with inclusion, but that would, I'd be like, oh my goodness, someone just left them off the schedule because it was, I mean, and this kind of stuff happens. So as teachers and as just people that are about educating all children, I hope you will make sure that the students in your classroom receive equal opportunity, equal access to everything that every other child gets. So back to Megan. Megan was born, she was put into an ELP, at, uh, ELP class at three years old and ELP is an early educational, I don't even know now, what is it? Learning program, E-E-L-P. It's not ELP as an after school tutoring, <laughs> it's E-E-L-P. And that was a program for, um, it's a program for three and four year olds prior to kindergarten. Some are, 
students with disabilities completely and some have classes that have students with disabilities also with students who um, are regular ed, classified as regular education, so students without disabilities. So it's kind of like they're put together. Um, typical peers is what they call the peers in that group. So Megan did that for two years, and because she was such a little peanut, we kept her in for a third year, which is really unusual, but I'm like, she's too little to go to kindergarten, I'm sorry, she's like a two-year-old size. So we kept her in for a third year in the L class. Going into kindergarten, we had to make the decision, what are we going to do next? Um, I kept her in a regular ed kindergarten class, and I did that for two years, okay? So, because she was still little, and so her regular ed teacher um, was phenomenal as far as, I mean, Megan, if you met her right now, I, I almost wanted to bring her to meet you. She, socially, she's her age, <laughs> I will tell you. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that she was in a regular setting with kids that talked a lot, right? with kids that knew how to behave, with kids that, and so she had a lot of models and a lot of interaction, and, I'm not, and in a self-contained setting, you should get the same thing, but in a regular ed setting, there's, it, I just wanted her to, to have the most opportunity um, possible. I kept her in kindergarten for two years, and then it was time for first grade. Well, guess what? She stayed with the same kindergarten teacher for two years, and then it came first grade, and the principal had the teacher loop with her class. So guess what? I got the same teacher for three years in a row. Some people might have thought, that's crazy, she needs a change. No, it wasn't crazy because this teacher was really embracing Megan as far as knowing her strengths and being able to really push her, push her academically and socially. Um, so she did that for first grade for, I think, did I keep her there? I think I kept her there for two years, so she's getting older. She's in 12, she's 12 now in fifth grade. But anyway, so when it came time for second grade, it was time for a new teacher. And that's when things started changing for us. She, her, her, her regular ed teacher was great, but I'm gonna tell you, I'm glad I didn't put any schools on here because I, love I loved her base school, but the ESC services that she was getting while she was in her regular ed setting in second grade were not good. I felt that she was being pulled out, but that what she was, I didn't feel like people really had a handle on how to best educate her. It was more of, to me, worksheets, things like that. Not really, it, she just wasn't growing academically. Socially, she was still fine because she had that time in her second grade class, but academically, she wasn't growing. So what they did is they would service her in the regular setting most of the day. She'd pull out for maybe two hours a day in an ESC classroom. The teacher, that teacher, to me, did not do what she needed to do. I'm just gonna be very frank with you. The regular ed teacher worked hard, but she also had 20, I think this might have been four class reduction. She had probably had 25 kids in her class. So this is when we started going, is leaving Megan in a regular you know, setting, the least restrictive environment, the best for her? Or should we look around and find a program where she meet, could be with smaller class, you know, a smaller class and start getting some individualized attention for academic growth? Um, that's what we did. So we moved her to another school where they have reputable ESC programs and ESC teachers. And I will say, I'm just gonna, I'm being very honest here today, but when I moved her to that program, the teacher was frustrated. Although she was ESC certified, she was not providing, once again, what Megan needed. I mean, she, and it, was, it was pretty frustrating for parents as well, so the, the principal changed the teacher. And at that moment, Guess what? Megan started really learning and advancing, and it was all about the
the quality of that teacher whose class was she in. So yes, she was out of the mainstream and in a self-contained setting, except for certain periods of the day where she would go out into the regular classroom, like for math, for the special service classes. There would be some she'd go into the regular classroom with the support of an ESC, a teacher that was ESC certified. Um, but for a lot of the class periods, she was in a smaller class setting and the teacher was able to work with her. And um, she, I will just say this, last night she came home with a paper and I'm like, she was able to tell me all the shapes. And when I pointed to shapes, she said rhombus, another one, octagon. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is really good. It was very exciting. And so it's hard to make those decisions as a parent um, because I want, I mean, I believe in inclusion completely. I don't want a child pulled out of a regular classroom unless it is absolutely necessary. But as a parent, I had to make that decision to make that happen. Um, but once again, I'm gonna tell you, there are a lot of parents that will come to you that do not have the background and experiences to make those kinds of decisions. So they have to rely on you, the educators, to help them through this process. And if I can give you any advice as a, as a, what I think a teacher should do, is work very hard to do what Tracy said. Do every intervention possible, do it with fidelity, and make sure that before you tell somebody that this child should be in a different setting, that you've done everything in your power, because I'm gonna tell you right now, if a child has an ineffective teacher more than one year in a row, and then we say, oh, there's something wrong with this child, then we've done a disservice to children. And so we need to make sure that every year they have the most effective teacher possible. So I don't know how many of you, how many of you have your own kids already? Anybody? This is a kind of a young crowd. Think about the type of teacher you want for your child, okay? That's the type of teacher you need to be. And if you don't have children, one day you will. Maybe you have nieces and nephews. What would you expect out of their teacher? And that's, that's the kind of teachers we need with our children. So, um, I mean, I hope I've shed some light on the parent perspective, but as a principal, I'm just, I'm gonna say very, very clearly that we need to make sure we, like I said, we've done everything possible for a child. And, and the core, starting with the core. I've had a lot of principals say, you know what? We're going back and starting from square zero, ground, ground zero. We're gonna make sure that what every teacher is doing in their classroom is the best instruction, highly effective instruction, before we start saying there's an issue with kids. We need to check the adults and make sure that what they're doing is best practice at all times. Then we can start looking at which kids are not, are not getting it. So I'm telling you, inclusion, we have some schools that have gone total inclusion, and I know I'm just gonna mention Claywell, because I had mentioned you should call the principal Claywell, they, they, they have um, probably maybe about 10, I don't know where it is, if you know, but a lot of children with Down syndrome at Playwell, and they mainstream them in the regular setting as much as possible all day long and pull them out only, and they're, they're advancing and progressing. And ESC parents, I'm telling you, they don't know what's best. They want, everybody wants to do what's best for their child, and so they think, oh God, smaller class size, 10 kids versus 20. I need them in a small class size because that's what they need. But the bottom line is, that could limit a child as well. If you can provide both, uh, that would be amazing. If you could buy, provide as much inclusion as possible and then that targeted support for part of the day, even within that regular classroom, that's the ideal setting, I think, for educating our special needs kids. Last statement, we all know there are children that end up in centers. That's not really what I'm talking about. I mean, we have, um, uh, Caminiti, we have Lavoie, we have exceptional centers, but the children that end up in those centers are extremely 
um, what would you say, Rose? They're things. Students with significant disabilities. Significant disabilities. So it's not, you know, they don't need to be, they can't be in a regular ed setting. They have to be, some of them are medically, help, being helped medically. But if they're going to be a regular, if a student's in your classroom, no matter what, what is your responsibility as a teacher? Huh? To be highly effective and make sure what? The students are growing and learning. And if they're not, who's responsible for that? Us. Us as educators. I'm not saying that we can't also look at other factors, but we are the ones responsible as educators for what happens to students. So remember, keep those high expectations. Make sure you do everything possible for every one of your students. Don't be so quick to say this kid needs uh, individual need. This kid needs a smaller class size. Don't be so quick to do that. I battled with teachers about that all the time. Make sure that you've tried everything before you say this kid needs to be in a smaller self-contained setting outside of my classroom. Thank you.